0: Weren't those just beautiful words? It just gives us that big picture, doesn't it? It's not all about this earth. It's not all about our daily little troubles. It's not all about meeting here on Sundays and worshipping God and singing songs. It's about when Christ comes again. And then whether you're a king or a pauper, we'll all bow down and worship Him. That's what we're aiming for. That really gets me excited. And so as we come to God's word, let's keep that picture in our minds. God has given us his word to take us through this life. And one day when we're with him, we won't need this anymore because we'll be with him. But while we are here, let's study it so that we can, in obedience, honor him until he comes. So as we turn to God's word today, the book of 1 Peter Chapter 4, in verses 12 to 19. This is the second in the series on giving Him your heart, entrusting your heart to Him, entrusting your life to Him as He te- takes us through this life. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, or thief, or evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. And in the passage we're going to look at today. For it is time for judgment to begin with a household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. February the 28th, 1944, at exactly 12.30, life changed dramatically dramatically for Corrie and her sister Betsy Ten Boom. Now you may have heard of them before. They were a Dutch family, a Christian family, really dedicated to serving God in their community during the time of the war. And they had helped so many Jews hide from the Nazis and then helped these Jews to escape from Holland. And they thought they were doing good, and they were. But then at 12.30 the knock came on the door and this time the soldiers came for them because they'd found out that they were hiding these Jews. And so the whole family was arrested and they were all taken to concentration camps and one by one they all died. And Betsy and Cory managed to survive for quite a long time together in one of the concentration camps. And during this time, Corrie kept asking Betsy, why has God done this to us? Why has He done this to our family? Weren't we doing good for Him? And Betsy had to keep reminding her, God knows what He's doing. He has put us through this for a purpose. We must do what is right, even in this concentration camp. And they did. They loved their guards, even though the guards whipped them and starved them. They loved them. And the guards noticed, and after the war, one of the guards came and spoke to Corrie and said to her, why did you do that? And she said, God showed us so much love, we had to show you as well. And that was such a great testimony. But during that time, she kept asking this question, of why do we have to go through this? And even more so when her sister, who was there with her, also succumbed and died. You see, man is born to adversity as surely as sparks fly upward. That's what Job said in Job 5.7. And Job was a good man. The Bible says in Job 1.1, Job was blameless. He was an upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And yet Job knew too what the fiery ordeal meant that we've just read about in First Peter. He knew what it was to lose his whole family and he had many sons and daughters. He knew what it was like to lose all his possessions and yes, even his own health and to lose all of that all at once. I don't know what your troubles are like, but I've never gone through anything like that. And yet Job could glorify God in the end. But through this time, he also asked this why question. Lord, why do you do this? He adds another question. As well, why are God's people suffering, and evil doers seeming to go unpunished? Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Job, Job chapter 21, and let's just look at what he says over there, because this same question is a question you might be asking as well. I don't know what your situation is now, but you might also be going through a hard time through various reasons, whether it's sickness. Whether it's finances, it doesn't matter. You might also be asking this very same question. The same question Job asked. Job 21, verses 7 to 14. You look around you, and this is the question that comes up. Why do the wicked still live, continue on, also become very powerful? Their descendants are established with them in their sight. And their offspring before their eyes. Now think who's speaking, it's Job, he's just lost all his offspring. Their houses are safe from fear, and the rod of God is is not on them. His ox mates without fail, his cow calves and does not abort. They send forth their little ones like the flock, and their children skip about. They sing to the timbrel and harp, and rejoice at the sound of the flute, They spend their days in prosperity and suddenly they go down to Sheol. They say to God, depart from us. We do not even desire the knowledge of your ways. See, Job looks around and he says, why am I going through this? Look at the evil ones. They seem to be prospering. Their children are still running around. I to lose mine. The psalmist struggled with this very same question. Turn to Psalm 73, verses 3 to 9. Psalm 73, verses 3 to 9. This is what David said. For I was envious of the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their bodies fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. I like that The imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high, speaking down to people. They have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue parades through the earth. You see, David is also looking around and saying, Lord, why are the wicked doing so well? Why do I have to go down into the pit of oppression? I'm one of yours, aren't I? And this may be a question that you will you are also asking even this morning. And the Apostle Peter, back in 1 Peter, seeks to give a biblical perspective to these believers in the early church who must have been asking these very same questions. Lord, why are we undergoing all this under the Roman Empire? We belong to you. Why are you putting us through this? The Apostle gives them the biblical perspective and he starts with making what may seem to you and I a shocking statement. This is what he says in verse 17 of chapter 4. He says, judgment starts with God's household. Verse 17. It is time for judgment to start with God's household. But before we to understand that, we need to go back a little bit and we need to see what God's holiness is to be able to understand what he's speaking about here. You see, judgment originates in God's holiness. That's where it all comes from. God is holy. He cannot tolerate any sin. He's totally good and entirely without evil. He is totally good. That means no sin is to be found in Him. And because God is holy, He is free from moral imperfections. And therefore, He is totally faithful to you and I. And that aspect of his character forms the basis of our hope. God is totally holy and therefore he's totally faithful and therefore we've got hope. But his holiness is also the basis of our judgment. We've got to understand that as well this morning. Because God is the perfect judge as well. And sin before God has to be dealt with. God cannot turn his eye from sin. He can't just ignore any small sin that we do before him. He's got to deal with all sin. It has to be removed. And the only way sin can be removed is through a ransom price being paid by blood. And in the Old Testament, that blood was the blood of animals. But in the New Testament, it has to be the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for you and I, God's perfect sacrifice. That price has to be paid For you and I, if we are to be forgiven from sin, and if sin is to be blotted out before the Lord, there is no other way to have our sins forgiven and to receive new life from the Lord. And then once that has happened in us, once our sins have been forgiven, once we've received this new life in us, then God starts to work in your and my life as believers. And He starts to turn us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect likeness of Jesus And how does He change us? He changes us through testing, through trial, and then also through discipline or judgment for sin. You see, we still do wrong things in our lives. And yes, our sin has been covered by the Lord Jesus Christ. But God teaches us through our lives that if there's sin in our lives, He's got to deal with it. And He deals with it while we are still on this earth. Because one day when we leave this earth, there will be no more judgment for us. There will be no more trials There will be no more temptations. That will all be in the past. God will then have made us perfect to be like His Son. And so Scripture teaches us this morning that God starts on His own, on the household of God, and He starts to work in us. You see, Scripture also teaches clearly that the time has come now for it to happen. That fire and purification always start with God's own people. Why? Well, let's look back in the Old Testament again, and then we'll come to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God always started with the purification of Israel first, and then He moved on to judgment of the nations. You see, God put His own people through purification first. And once He dealt with His own people and they'd realized their sin before Him, then He moved to the nations around them and He brought judgment on them. He didn't bring purification to those nations, He brought judgment to them. And that was a picture for his people. It was a picture to the people surrounding Israel of what God was doing in and through his own. And to purify his people, God put them through a process of fire. Malachi chapter 3 verse 3 says it like this. Listen to these words. He, that is God, will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver till they present right offerings to the Lord. Do you see the principle there? And then chapter 3 verse 5 carries on. Then says God, I will draw near to you, that is all unbelievers, for judgment. Once I've worked with my own, then I will go to the nations for judgment. You see, and then God is no longer a purifying fire, He just brings judgment on the nations. And in the New Testament, how does that apply to us? Well, we know that God is in the midst of His people in the New Testament. How do we know that? Because the Lord Jesus Christ died and the Holy Spirit is now living inside of us. God is in the midst of His people. And so we shouldn't be surprised when God moves through His people with fire and with purification. We shouldn't be surprised. We must be filled with rejoicing, said verse 13, when we see that God is starting to purify among us. Because He is making us more like His Son. We should be filled with rejoicing. Almighty God is working on you and I and He's refining us and making us like His Son. 1 Corinthians 11.32 says, Listen to this. This will give you so much encouragement. And when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. You see, for a little while, we may have to experience God's refining fire on this earth. But when we leave this earth, or when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again, the time for refinement will be over. It is a sliver of time that we have to endure, and God is making us to be like His Son. We've got to endure pain, we've got to endure hardship, but then the time will come when we will be forever with the Lord, and we won't have to go through these things. God disciplines us while we are on earth. In heaven there will be no discipline. We will be perfect. I'm sure you've seen this example in a shopping centre. I'm pretty sure it's never happened to your children. But you always see it happening to other people's children, right? They're running riot, screaming the place down, tearing stuff down, chaos. And people are saying, man, if only these parents could discipline their children. And so what do we do when we go home? We go and we make sure that our children are really well behaved, don't we? Because we don't want to be in that situation when other people are saying, what about these people's children? You see, while we have our children, we discipline them. And while God has got us here on earth, He is our Father. We are His children. He disciplines us too. So that one day when He takes us to be with Him, we won't need that discipline. We will be perfect. Do you get that picture? Take courage, says the Apostle. As a faithful father deals with the sin in his own children, so our faithful father is showing his mercy in the face of his holiness by refining us now and separating us from our sin now, while we are still on this earth. It is time for judgment to begin with the household of God, says the text. So you might ask this morning, so what things does God have to refine on me? You might be, you know, I'm fairly doing alright. What does God have to do in me? You know, God has to deal in you and I with our pride, doesn't he? It's so quickly there. That insidious and ever-present idolatry. That means when we put ourselves before God, we've got pride in our hearts. God has to deal with you and I, with our selfishness. Me, myself and I looking out for number one. You know what I mean? God's got to deal with our lack of true love for him. With a true lack of our fellow believers around us. Just look around you. With a true lack for the lost. When we walk out of this place, do we really see the lost? Do we love the lost? Do we want to bring them the gospel message? God's got to deal with that in us. Because we are not as urgent as we should be about His business. Our own business seems to be more important sometimes. God's got to deal with us with our lack of trust in Him during testing and severe trials. When that anxiety comes up in us, when that frustration, why do I need to be sick for so long, comes up in us. God's got to deal with that in us while we're on this earth. God's got to deal with our discontent, you and I. When His plans and His gifts never seem good enough, we always seem to be seeing something else across the fence. God's got to deal with that in us. He's got to deal with our lack of self control. Even when self control is commanded by Scripture, But it is so rare to be seen in our families, with our colleagues, with our friends. God's got to deal with our impatience and our irritability. I know, I'm speaking from experience, when things don't quite go our way, when the traffic doesn't quite move as fast as they should be, we get irritable and impatient. God's got to deal with that in us. Because in heaven there's no place for that. He's got to deal with it now. God's got to deal with our judgmentalism, I was guilty of that this week. I saw a picture of a guy, who was dressed up. I thought, is he spawn of God or of Satan? But he was actually a gospel singer. And I had to think, man, are you being holier than thou? You've been so judgmental. First get to know the guy instead of being judgmental on him. God's got to deal with our worldliness, our settling down too comfortably in this world of settling down, making a nest for ourselves, gathering things around us, when actually we're just here temporarily and we're going to move on again. He's got to deal with our envy, our jealousy, our sins with our tongues. Do I need to carry on? He's got to deal with our hearts being hardened to His Word. And yes, it might even be this morning. God refines and disciplines His own. That's what this text is saying to us. The time is now for judgment of the household of God. He uses that specific term here, the household of God. That's a collective term in the original. And what it refers to there is the church too. And so we've got to ask ourselves, what does God have to burn out of the church? What does God have to burn out of Wanganui East Baptist as a collective of believers together? What does he have to burn out of the church in New Zealand, the worldwide church? Well, God has got to burn out of us and see if you're guilty or not, our lack of personal preparation before we come together corporately to worship Him. How do we come here this morning? Were you worrying more about daylight saving and getting the kids in the car than about your personal preparation in coming to worship together with other believers here today? What has your worship of the Lord been like during the week in the lead-up to what was going to happen here today? Have you been worshipping Him in spirit and in truth Have you been keeping your relationship with Him alive and thriving and living during the week? Or do you just come and worship on a Sunday? You see, God's got to deal as churches with us, with our love of ceremony and habit. But we always do things that way. So how can we change now? God's got to deal with that in us as churches, as opposed to our true worship of God from our hearts. God's got to deal with us as churches, and I speak collectively here, with our preoccupation with growth programs. You hear it so often, and we hear it as church leaders, that pressure on us for growth programs, for bigger buildings, for bigger budgets, for bigger offerings. God's got to deal with us with our preoccupation for always wanting smarter equipment, smooth presentations, entertaining speakers, awesome worship bands. And yes, they are awesome to have, but are we so preoccupied with them that we forget what it's all about? It's all about worshipping God, not the worship bands, not that fantastic music that we sing. You see, we are guilty as churches of doing church before God. And it is time for judgment to start at the house of the Lord. We are guilty of doing church instead of simple obedience to God's word. That is what is important to him. As churches, we focus on numbers, we focus on drawing in the crowds, on making unbelievers feel comfortable and unthreatened in our services instead of faithful, fearless preaching of God's word. And there are are many churches around that do that. They are so concerned about numbers. I would be happy if the Lord, and please stay, Aaron, but I would be happy if the Lord kept five faithful people here and we could worship the Lord together than what we are to try and worry about numbers and making people feel comfortable. However unpopular our message may be, however unpopular the messenger might be, we need to do what God wants first. God has to burn out of us as churches in not just New Zealand but the world this gospel of easy believism instead of God's message of counting the cost and ongoing discipleship of those who are here. You see, we're so concerned about how many are coming today, we forget about the believers that are here. We need to be building up each other in the faith. We need to be discipling those who are in the faith so that they can stand strong. And then lastly, God's got to burn out of us as churches, our lack of urgency to reach the lost. We have fantastic worship services, we walk out the door, we've done church and now I carry on with life again. And I don't even see the unbelievers around me. Do we have that urgency in us as a church? What are we doing to focus, as a church, what are we doing to focus on unbelievers? What are we doing? How are you helping in that task? You see, the world has gotten to the church. But God is now amongst His own, purifying and disciplining us as the household of God. Tell me this morning, do you want to be more like Christ? Yes or no? Yes. Do you want to be more like Christ's pure bride as East Baptist Church? Do we want that? Amen, we do. Then, says the Apostle, we need to be prepared and know that it is time for judgment to begin with the house of God. Now, I don't know why we are getting this message now, but God knows. And we might be in for a bit of a hard time. We don't know. But through that all, we need to keep looking up to God and know that he is doing it to purify us for himself. God takes you through hard times to purify yourself for Him, to make you more like His Son. Secondly, we see in this text, verses 17 to 18, that there's a warning here to the godless. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning I want to take you to this verse. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will stir your heart this morning, that He will do it because you won't on your own. And that you will see what is going to happen. Here's the warning. You see, if God is so active to make His own holy, that is, those who are already saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, those whose sins have already been paid for by Jesus, then what will things be like for those who are outside of Christ, those who are not saved by the blood of the Lamb, when the time comes for God to judge them? Because that time will come, says this text. God first starts with His own and then He moves to unbelievers. And then judgment comes. You see, verse 18 says, it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved. That's not difficult for God to do. It's impossible for man to do. You see the difficulty? It's impossible for man. Christ had to die so that men could live. Men can't just be saved on a whim because they feel like it when they get up in the morning. It's a beautiful day. I think I'll be saved today. It doesn't work like that. A major work has to happen before you can be saved. And you've got to come before the Lord and cry for forgiveness. And then God will hear your prayer, forgive your sin and give you new life. You can't just do it when you want to. God must do it in His time. And you need to come before Him. You see, God has to do a mighty work. Without God's work, man is under full judgment from God. Without Christ's blood to cover you, the godless man and sinner will be exposed for who they are what will they be exposed as godless and sinners before a holy god and they'll be exposed to the full wrath of god against sin all at once job lost all his family all his possessions all his health all at once sinners before an unrepentant sinners before a god who judges them will see, receive god's full wrath for all sin all at once. And then when God brings that judgment, when he does, it is too late. There will be no recourse to mercy. There will be no end to that punishment. It will carry on forever and ever, says Second Thessalonians 1 nine. Be warned this morning. That's a warning from God's word. And then thirdly, says the Apostle in verse 19, and as believers, this is where we get our comfort. Therefore, says the Apostle, if you suffer because God wills you to suffer, then entrust your soul to a faithful creator. And we can really stand up behind these words and take them to heart. You see, behind his judgment, behind God's discipline and his purifying fire, stands the faithful creator. He's behind all of this. The all-powerful, the all-knowing, the all-encompassing, the all-loving Creator. And He knows what you're going through. He hasn't left you on your own. He is putting you through those hard times, if you're a believer here this morning. He is purifying you. And He's deliberately preparing you for an eternity with Him. i repeat that. He is deliberately preparing you for an eternity with Him. When you will be without sin. When you will be perfect in Christ, and perfect like Christ, forever in God's presence. That's the big picture. There'll be no more trials, no more discipline. That is what we're looking forward to. And therefore, says the Apostle, entrust your soul to Him for this little while on earth, a sliver of time when you may have to endure severe fiery ordeals or even life-impacting trouble. Entrust your soul to Him Hand over your treasure, your soul, for safekeeping. The word there means deposit. Hand over your deposit, your treasure to Him. Give it to Him. His hands are safe. He's got mighty and omnipotent hands in the hand of the Almighty God. You see, life's waves and storms cannot impact Him, or cannot tear you from His grasp. Pain and sickness and financial distress and death cannot weaken the hands of Almighty God. They cannot grab you there. He is the faithful creator. He is the one who created everything just by a word and it was there. And with that same power, he will protect you and keep you until he comes again. He created you. You are his. He created what's inside of you, that new life. And what he has started in you, he will be faithful to complete. We need to just entrust our souls to him. But we're not finished with that verse. Look at the last bit of it, verse 19. It's not said in brackets, it's there. As you entrust yourself to Him, here it is, carry on in obedience in doing what is right. You see, He'll give you the strength for every step. When trouble comes along your way, you can't just sit in your bedroom, close the curtains and say, God, you do it. You've got to, in obedience, carry on with life. Why? Because God's put us on this earth so that unbelievers can see us going through real hard times but they can see us going through hard times looking up and holding on to a source outside of ourselves. They need to see that. It's a testimony to God's glory. That's why God has left us there. God will give you and I the strength we need for every single step we need to take. And it might just be that. The strength for every step when you feel you cannot go on anymore when you look ahead of you and everything ahead of you seems impossible, God gives you the strength to carry on with one more step and then another step and then another step until you're through that situation and you give God glory because when you look back, you see His hand. He never let you go. You've been in His hand all the time. He is faithful. He will be there for you. He will not desert you. God is your faithful creator. Are you hearing God's word today? I kind of heard one I mean. Wow. That really got me as I was preparing this. That really jumped out at me. If I entrust my soul to Him, He is faithful. Where's the weak point? Me entrusting. God doesn't change. We're going to end this morning with a beautiful song. Look at these words. I want to just go through them with you. Refinest fire. My heart's one desire. How many desires have you got in your heart? My heart's one desire is to be holy. What does that mean? I want to be set apart for you, Lord. Now look at the next line. And we just sing it so glibly. I choose to be holy. You know, Jesus said, if you choose my way, it is a hard way. So by singing that song this morning, if you say, I choose to be holy, then you choose the road of trials, the road of being disciplined for your sin, until God comes again, or takes you to be with with Him. So if you can't sing that, don't sing it this morning. I choose to be holy. That is, I choose to be set apart for you, my Master. Is He Lord of your life? Is He the one at center of your life? Because if He isn't, this won't happen. He has to be at center of your life. Then you will entrust your soul to Him. And then He will refine you. My Master, ready to do your will. There's the obedience bit. I'm ready, even in my hard times, even in the suffering, to do your will, Lord. You give me strength. Verse 2, purify my heart. I recognise there's sin in me that has to be taken care of. Cleanse me from within and make me holy. Purify my heart. Cleanse me from what? My sin. That's what the problem is with us. And then we sing those words. Cleanse me from deep within. And that is where the surgery takes place from God's Word. And that is painful and deep surgery at times during life. But it is transforming surgery when God does it in you and I. That is basically what the Apostle was saying. It's a beautiful summary of what he's been saying in those last two verses, the last three verses. So let's come before the Lord. And as we pray this morning, let's ask Him to do this work in us. And when we sing the song, let's really sing it to God's glory, meaning what we are singing there. And if you can't sing that, don't sing it, because then you are just singing lies to the Lord. Sing from your hearts this morning. But let's just pray first and ask for God's mercy. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank You for this great encouragement from Your Word that if we entrust our souls to You, that You are the faithful Creator and that yes, even in life You will take us through hard times and they haven't just happened. They are there by design because You want to purify us. You want to make us more like your Son. You want to get rid of those sins in us. And Lord, whether it's small sin or big sin, it doesn't matter. It is sin before a holy God, and you want to deal with it in us. Lord, purify us as a church. Purify us as as individuals here before you today. And may we leave this place knowing that whatever comes our way, you will not let us go if we entrust ourselves to you and we are obedient to you. Lord, keep us faithful to you, we pray. We want to do what we do to glorify your name alone. Purify us. Amen.